James 2, verse 8. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. It's an expression that James uses three times in the space of two verses, and then he never uses it again in the book of James. The expression I'm talking about is the term religious or religion. Turn to James 1, 26 and 27. Certainly by any method of reckoning, any method of determining James 1, 26 and 27 has to be one of the key passages in the book of James. If anyone notice the expression, mark it in your Bible, if anyone thinks himself religious and bridles not his tongue, that man's religion, second occurrence, is vain, see it, or useless. You continue into verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That word, religious or religion, is a word that has to do with the appropriate outward response to a loving, genuine relationship with God. The appropriate outward response to a loving, humble relationship with God. And so I guess we could say it is the outward, external expression of an inward, internal reality. And to put it in a slightly different way, religion has to do with loving and trusting God. And it must express itself outwardly in ways that would be pleasing to the one that we love and trust in. Got it? That puts it about as simply as I can. And really, you're expecting more from James about religion and pure and undefiled religion whenever you end James chapter 1 and read verses 26 and 27. And then, Brian, he just cuts the use of that term off completely. And the expression that is prevalent in James chapter 2, most notably in verses 14 through 26, is the expression faith and works. As a matter of fact, between James 2.14 and the end of the chapter, verse 26, ten times, ten times, he refers to faith and works. 
Which means quite simply, Adam, when he discusses true religion, he will be talking about loving and trusting God and how loving and trusting God results in action and obedience. Genuine trust, faith in God, results in genuine obedience. That is how James thinks. And you know what? It's hard to argue with. Certainly it's hard to argue with biblically. Now, keep in mind what James has said. If a person doesn't know how to bridle their tongue, their faith is being undermined. Their faith is useless. If a person doesn't have compassion, and the word visit carries with it the idea of taking care of the fatherless and the widows, to make sure that they are properly seen about, cared for, And the third area mentioned in verse 27 is to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Now here's what James does do. While he doesn't refer to religion, he starts referring to faith and faith in action in James 2. And James 2 gives two primary areas where people may well have their faith undermined. Two areas of action or inaction where people might have their faith undermined and not be practicing pure and undefiled religion, not controlling their speech, not walking in a way that's unspotted from the world. Now focus with me on James 2 and verse 1. If you're reading from the New American Standard or from the English Standard Version, one of the things it makes very clear here is the command, show no partiality. Do not show respect of persons. And this has to do with pre-judgment, prejudice. It has to do with discrimination. There is never an occasion when a child of God can be guilty of prejudice or discrimination without violating the very faith we claim to profess and hold dear. That needs to be said loudly and firmly. Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Throughout Scripture, this is evident. Romans 2 and verse 11, for example. In the teaching of Jesus, He said, Do not judge according to appearance. Judge righteous judgment. John 7, 24. In John 5 and verse 44, Jesus asked the penetrating question, How can you believe when you are more concerned about the glory of men than the glory that comes from God. And then, in John 12 and verse 43, there were people then, and I suspect there are people now, that love the praise of men more than the 
praise of God, the glory of men more than the glory of God. Mark the word glory in James 2.1. He's the Lord of glory. Prejudging, discrimination, prejudice, showing partiality has to do with labeling people without a sufficient basis in the sight of God. Some, including some Christians, are as good at labeling other people as a fashion designer is good at putting their label on clothes. Think about it. And it's almost an accepted form of misbehavior today. But what is happening in James chapter 2 is he is blowing prejudice, prejudgment, discrimination, and partiality away. How might we show prejudice, partiality, or discrimination? Let me give you the A-list of discrimination. Sometimes we discriminate on the basis of appearance. Appearance. An A-list for discriminatory practices. Appearance. Another one is achievement. It's easy to have this this desire to get to know somebody better just because of their appearance or achievement in life. And we find ourselves drawn to this. And maybe they can do something for us based on how they look or what they have accomplished in life. This A-list goes even more. How about age? Some people, if you're past a certain age, you are overlooked. Age. Continuing, think about some of this A-list of discriminatory practices. Affluence. Affluence. Sometimes we are drawn to that. How about ancestry? That person is the son of such and such a preacher. That individual is the son of longtime members or a daughter of longtime members of the Lord's church in a particular location. And I am not saying that ancestry or achievement, an age and affluence, appearance have no bearing at all in any decision we ever make. But I am simply saying it's easy to become guilty of prejudging. It's easy to be guilty of discrimination. It's easy to become guilty of being partial, being partial. May it be our constant prayer, help us to look at others with the eyes of Jesus. Help us look at others with the eyes of Jesus. And help us not to see so much a person's appearance 
or age or ancestry or achievements. Help us to see them as an eternal soul for whom Jesus came to save. An eternal soul for whom Jesus came to save. And stop and think about this because the Lord is called what in James 2.1? The Lord is called what? The Lord of what? He's called the Lord of glory. Looking to anyone else in a partial, discriminatory, prejudging type of way who may give us glory or thinking that they are a person of glory and not really focusing on the Lord of glory means we got a glory problem. We do. We have a glory problem. Yes, we do. When we discriminate. When we are partial. And here's what I mean. Turn to Galatians 3 and look at verse 28. In Galatians 3, 28... Adam, if you don't mind, brother, would you read it? Galatians 3.28, thank you so much. Catch it now, listen. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Whoa! Well, wasn't that really one of the first controversies the early church had, that the gospel's for Greeks, for Gentiles, just as much as Jews? Respect to persons, partiality, discrimination. Keep going. There's neither slaves nor free. Whoa! Free people... Versus people who were slaves. Wasn't that really a matter that had to be addressed often in the New Testament? There's neither male nor female. What? We all can be one part of the family of God in Christ. Thank you. And it seems to me that it is still very possible to be showing prejudgment and discrimination and partiality in ways that do not honor the Lord. He is the Lord of glory. Therefore, looking at His creation with His eyes ought to be our constant prayer and our practice too. Now, when you look at James chapter 2, 1 through 13... He goes on to say why prejudice is so wrong. Why prejudice is so sinful. We tend to excuse our prejudices and our practice of being unfairly partial to others. We label folks. When you look at James 2 verse 1, James says prejudice is contrary to the Son of God. That's about as stout and firm as you can get. Prejudice is contrary to the Son of God. And you know what he goes on to do? James, the Lord's half-brother, goes on to show that Jesus would likely be the very type of person that many people would be prejudiced against and looked down upon. You know why? Isaiah 53. Did Jesus appear uh, in a way that seemed to be really attractive? And Mr. Achievement and Mr. Success? 
And while no one could question his ancestry, people questioned his ancestry when he walked the face of the earth. And he would have had the appearance of a 30 or so year old person, and yet he's the everlasting father, Isaiah 9:6. They couldn't say, things were not the way they, they looked with Jesus, were they? How often that is true of others, too. And remember what Jesus said, Will Mayfield, in Matthew 25, Inasmuch as you did it not to the least of these, my brethren, you did it not to me. I don't believe any of the members of the early church would have ever thought that they would be guilty of being prejudiced and partial and discriminatory against Jesus. But what James is saying is when you do this to others, you're violating the Spirit of the Son of God Himself. Think you got their attention? That's not enough. He has to heap it on. James has a way of making a point. So he goes how, he points out how prejudice is prohibited by the Son of God in His very character. But then he goes on to say that prejudice is contrary to the very nature of the church of God. Look at verses 2 through 4. Verses 2 through 4. It's, very, it's contrary to the very nature to the church of God, which should consist of Jew and Gentile, which should con, con, uh, consist of male and female, which ought to consist of people who, who may have greater liberty and people who may not. And a church that ought to consist of people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, Revelation 7, 9, and 10. The assembly, the church. You see that in James 2, 2 through 4? I am not a young man anymore. But one of the things I long to see among the people of God is churches that reflect the racial diversity and the diversity that characterizes the communities in which we live. That's what James is talking about. In verses 2 through 4. Really what happens in this passage is this. Two people come to services. You got one that really knows how to make an entrance. He's got rings, gold rings on virtually every finger. You know, the, the golden ring was given to the son when he returned. Remember in Luke 15? This guy's got one on every finger almost. And the appearance... And the achievement and all of that causes many to want to give him the prime seat. And someone walks in who is poor. And they are told there's a corner over in the back of the room where you can stand. The church of God does not act like that. The church of God does not act like that. 
continue looking. In James chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, prejudice and discrimination is contrary to the grace of God. The grace of God. Because God has blessed the poor to be rich in ways that count. Unmerited favor. And when we are around those who are poor, we can be thankful that they can be rich in faith in Jesus. And all of us can be thankful that our cups overflow and graciously minister to those who are truly poor. Continue looking at the passage. Verses 8 through 12. Prejudice is contrary to the Word of God. If you look at verses 9 through 12, verses 9 through 12, 8 through 12 actually, the word law is found in every verse 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. And what is referred to was read in the scripture reading. The royal law is to love your neighbor as yourself. And that is why discrimination and prejudice are so sinful. And we can sing that the gospel is for all. But surely many of us have prejudgments and discriminatory attitudes and a sense of partiality that we might need to look at in view of Scripture, of Jesus, of His church, of grace, and of the Word of God itself. Now look at James 2, 12 and 13. I'm not making this up, am I? Prejudice is prohibited by the judgment of God. Because come judgment time, nobody wants to be judged strictly on the basis of the law. When it comes time for judgment, we want to be judged mercifully, don't we? Judgment will be without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. God help us to be able to look at others with the eyes of Jesus. God give us more the heart of Jesus, the eyes of Jesus, and the mind of Jesus as it comes to encountering others. My buddy Jim McKay has told me several times over the years, his favorite verse is Micah 6 and verse 8. I preached on it not too long ago. But here's Micah 6 and verse 8 in action. Micah chapter, uh, James chapter 2, 12 and 13. Really the whole section, 1 through 13, do justly. 
Treat other people right. Same section, 1 through 13. Do justly, love mercy, because judgment will be without mercy to those who show no mercy. And walk humbly with your God. That even probably goes back to chapter 1 and receiving with meekness the engrafted word that's able to save your souls, James 1.21. And being careful how you look at the mirror of God's word. Certainly it goes back to James 1.26 and 27. This is what James is really talking about. What the Old Testament was all about should be built upon and lived by those who are in the new in a way that honors God in accordance with the New Testament. Look, if you will, now at James 2, 14 through 26. He speaks out against the prejudice and discrimination that he sees, especially regarding the rich and the poor in the early church. But that's not all. He speaks out against a faith that says something but doesn't show it as well. And in each case, people are being spotted, stained by the world. Their words and their actions don't mesh mesh up. They don't measure up to one another. And in each case, people are being mistreated that need to be cared for. As I mentioned, how many times are faith and works mentioned in verses 14 through 26 specifically? Ten. He put them together ten times in this section. Do you think we ought to keep together what God put together in the first place? Genuine love and trust shows itself in a genuine response and expression of love and obedience. Now, James 2, 14 through 26... Notice what James does for you uh, structure-oriented people. James 2.14, brethren. James 2, verse 1, brethren. Do not hold the mystery, do not hold rather the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with respect to persons. He's the Lord of glory. Verse 1 and verse 14. Brethren, faith, just like 2-1. Brethren, faith. Again, it is in James 2 and verse 2 that an illustration is given of a rich man, poor man. Notice the very next verse, James 2, 15. Illustration given. What kind of person? Poor man. You starting to see some parallels? He's thinking and he's lining things out in exactly the same way so people will get it. Look at James 2.8. And the royal law to love neighbor as ourselves. If you practice this, you do well. If you believe that God is one, James 2.19, you do well. The demons believe and tremble. Let the text speak. Let me read James 2.14. 
What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? What is the answer that is assumed in both questions? Uh Uh-uh. Right? Go to verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? Dead, as we say in West Texas. Look at verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? 26. For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, what happens in the rest of James here in James 2, 14-26 is James gives four powerful illustrations that really get our attention. Illustration number one is that of a poor person, a brother or sister that might well be part of our congregation. A brother or sister comes and it says that they are That they're poor, yes, but it's not just poor, it's destitute. And it says, Kyle, that these people, we would say they're in rags, but the whole idea is they are inadequately clothed. They do not have sufficient clothing for the elements. And they do not have enough food to eat. And what if some brother says to them, Shalom. What does that mean? Peace. And says, be warmed when you don't have enough clothes to keep you warm. And be filled when you don't have enough food to eat. Genuine love and trust in God expresses itself in genuine acts of service. Internal relationship shows itself, Lynn, outwardly, externally in our dealings with others. How can anyone love God whom they have not seen without also loving others who they have seen? 1 John 4, 19-21. So this illustration is given. And he's given it in the ang- with the angle and the express purpose of us realizing faith without works is useless. Don't just say it, show it. Then he gives in verses 18 through 20 the example of demons. And the whole point in the illustration is this. A person can be doctrinally straight and believe things that are true. And in this case... It has to do, you believe that there's a God, you believe that God is one. You do well. The demons believe and tremble. Now listen to me. 
The demons are not saved, although they have a lot of their theology straight. Don't they? But what they say and what they display are contradictory. Two negative examples that really make a point. And then two positive examples. In James 2, 21 through 24, he gives Abraham. And here's really what he's saying. Everything about Father Abraham, for those of you that have a Jewish background, he would be saying... Everything about Father Abraham shows us that his faith responds to love to God in love and obedience. It, it shows itself outwardly. Even when it concerned the death, the sacrificing of Isaac. Everything. And the point is, when our faith doesn't work, You're not really like Father Abraham at all. He was the friend of God, this passage says. You're not being God's friend when faith doesn't express itself appropriately. Wow. And then he uses Rahab in verse 25. The second example of really a working faith is Rahab. Now... You think about this, both Abraham and Rahab, there would be a risk involved. Abraham would be risking the life of his son, even though he believed God could raise him from the dead. And Rahab was risking everything by housing the spies and by not telling the truth to people that were looking for them. They both had a trust and a love for God that acted. That's the point. That's the point. And in one case, you've got the father of Israel, Abraham. And in another case, you have a Canaanite and a woman. And they couldn't be any more different in some ways. And James brings both of them together and says, they both had a faith that didn't just say something, they showed it. And so should we. The conclusion is found in verse 26. As the body, apart from the spirit, is dead so also faith, apart from works, is dead. Thank you for listening, and I trust that James 2 has been informative. Over the next few Sunday evenings, we'll look at one chapter each time, just as we've started with an overview. James 1 last Sunday, James 2 tonight. Lord willing, going through April here, we'll get 3, 4, and 5 finished as well.
Hope that this has been helpful to you. James is hard-hitting, and you know what? It is really hard to misunderstand him, isn't it? But his is a message that we need today. Because we can believe in the importance of faith and works, and yet sometimes our actions don't really show what we say we believe. If you're not a Christian, through faith, repentance, and baptism, come to Jesus. And if you are a Christian, let's make it a point to pray more about looking at others with the eyes of Jesus. And let's make it a point to pray that we also have a heart like Jesus. And we have a mind that thinks about how to serve and relate to others like Jesus. Thank you. Let us stand and sing.